For those of you that haven't been here, I've been teaching from Colossians chapter 2. I want to go back over there and just start there once again. But last night I started talking from Colossians chapter 2 where Paul gave a warning to the Colossians. And here's what he said in verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You have to be on guard that you don't lose what Jesus has made available to you through philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of men, and rudiments of the world. Now, those words don't mean a lot to most people and they skip over it, but this is really powerful. And and I spent the very first session last night just talking about that everybody has a philosophy. That's talking about your way of thinking, not individual thoughts, but you have an outlook, a paradigm, a way that you process everything. And you have it in all different areas. And with most Christians, they established their philosophy, paradigm or worldview before they got born again. And sad to say, they may gain pieces of information but that information doesn't change their philosophy, their worldview. For instance, you could know that by his stripes you're healed, but you spent your whole life just, you know, every time uh, flu season comes around, planning on getting the flu, talking about if anybody gets sick, I know it's going to be me. You were raised that way. You just expected to get sick once or twice a year. It's your philosophy. It's the way that you think. Now you have a new piece of information that by a stripes you're healed, but you haven't changed your philosophy, your outlook. You still expect it. It doesn't surprise you when you get sick. And see, that's not the way that God wants us to be. He wants us to change our philosophy because by his stripes we're healed. Then you should be able to stand on these scriptures that no plague will come nigh my dwelling. And you ought to have a totally different philosophy. And yet most Christians think, well, what's the difference between me and my neighbor over here? They got sick. If they get sick, I'm going to get it too. There should be a lot of difference. You're alive. They're dead. You got God living on the inside of you. They don't have God on the inside of them. There ought to be a difference between you. And yet many Christians think that the only thing that happened is that my destination when I die is changed. I'm not going to go to hell. Instead, I'm going to go to heaven. But here on this earth, we're just an old sinner. Saved by grace. That's not true. I was an old sinner, but I got saved by grace and I'm a brand new person. And if you begin to renew your mind by the word of God, your philosophy or your way of looking at things should change. And yet sad to say, most Christians do not let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. This is the way that they were raised. This is the way they were taught. They have a type A personality and this is just the way that they are. All that stuff is, is, is wrong. You are not destined to be a jerk. You are not destined to be a high strung person. You can change all of those things with the word of God. And it's wrong for you to just accept a philosophy that life has to be this way when the word of God promises something different. So anyway, I spent a lot of time talking about that. Let's turn over to Genesis chapter three. And I turned over here this morning and I showed how that Satan, the way he came against Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was attack the word of God. Has God really said? And this morning I was talking about one of the foundation, to me, the most foundational truth that a Christian needs to renew their mind to and a philosophy that every Christian should have 
is that God's word is forever settled. It is not a book about God. It is a book from God. It was God breathed, God inspired. I had charts this morning comparing the Bible to ancient manuscripts. I had uh, charts about prophecy and how impossible it is for all of the prophecies to come to pass. Just eight of the prophecies concerning Jesus, it would be one chance in 100 quadrillion for eight prophecies to come to pass. And there's over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus alone. There is no other book. There is nothing in the history of the world that even comes close to impacting and having the credibility that the word of God does. It has been proven in every minute detail. And anyway, we could spend days and days and days talking about that. But I believe that that is a Christian philosophy. And sad to say, most Christians today do not stand on the authority of the word of God. They believe it's a book that contains truth but it is not absolute truth. They believe that there's errors, there's mistakes, and that is just not true. So man, we've already talked about that, but if you don't agree with everything I've said right here, you need a different philosophy. You need to change your philosophy and you need to adopt this because if you doubt the accuracy of the word of God, this is our foundation. This is what our faith is based on. Our faith is built upon knowledge. I used those verses last night in 2 Peter chapter 1. It says in verse 3, according uh, as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And then verse 4 says, through this knowledge is given unto us these exceeding great and precious promises. So the knowledge of God is his word And everything that pertains to life and godliness is dependent upon this knowledge. If you don't believe this is God's word, if you don't base your life and your understanding and your values and your morals on what God's word says, there is no hope for you having God's power operating in your life. And I'm telling you, this is where a lot of Christians are today. They are praying for healing but they don't have their mind renewed to what the word of God says concerning healing. They don't have a scriptural outlook. They see themselves as mere human beings. You know, there was a man, John G. Lake. I'm sure many of you have heard of him. And he ministered, I think he died in about, what, the 1940s or 50s. And he ministered in South Africa and he was very well known in the U.S. He, he, his base was in Spokane. Uh, Washington, and he ministered healing so successfully that one of the two hospitals in Spokane was shut down because there just wasn't a need for it. And he had a hospital, not where they administered medicine, but where people would come and they would just pray for you and minister the word to you until you got well. And he saw awesome, awesome miracles. And anyway, this guy had a philosophy about healing that he didn't believe God just could heal. You know, I was just talking to a man who every one of you in here would know who I'm talking about. And this, he's a great guy. He loves God. But uh, he got to asking me some questions and he says, you don't have a doctor. You don't go to the doctor. You haven't been sick. You don't have any problem. He just couldn't get over this. And he says, don't get me wrong. I believe God can heal but God is sovereign and it's just up to him who he would and wouldn't heal. And he says, I would never get up and say it's God's will for you to be well because I might get somebody's hopes up. 
See, and that philosophy is the reason that he struggles physically. He's a great guy. He loves God, but he struggles physically because he's got a wrong philosophy. That's not true. By the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. It is God's will for every single person to be well. And there's a lot of people God believe God can heal, but they don't have the philosophy, the worldview, the way of looking at it, that God has already done it. And if he's already healed me, why would I leave what he's done for me on the table and not take advantage of it? Man, I'm going to take advantage of everything God has given me. So anyway, this John G. Lake, see, he had this philosophy. And when he sent his, he called them practitioners, he would send them out with a bottle of oil. And he says, don't come back until they're healed. They didn't pray for people. They went and ministered healing. The Bible doesn't tell you to pray for people. There are examples of people being prayed for, but the Bible didn't tell us to pray for the sick. It says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick. It mentions that, but there is not a command for you to pray for the sick. The command is to heal the sick. There's a huge difference. That implies that you have power and authority and that you can make it come to pass. You can make healing manifest. It's up to you. It's not up to God whether or not your healing manifest. Thank you for those two amens and a couple of head nods. See, I'm countering people's philosophy right here. And you're saying, I've never heard anything like that. Obviously. So anyway, John Lake, this was his philosophy. And as a result, he was helping. He had been granted a medical license because he was more effective than the medical doctors. He didn't practice medicine, but he was more effective. So the city of Spokane gave him a medical license and they had a plague and people were dying and he was helping these other doctors. They had like a gymnasium turned into a triage center and they were helping people. And anyway, this one person just died and uh, this doctor that was working with them as this guy convulsed and foamed at the mouth and died. This doctor made a comment about, man, aren't you glad that we have an inoculation against this disease? And John Blake just said, who's got an inoculation? And this, this doctor looked at him and says, don't tell me that you don't have an inoculation against this. Says, man, you're working with all of these diseases and germs. You're going to die. He says, you, you'll die if you haven't been vaccinated. And he made a statement based on Psalms chapter 90. No plague will come nigh my dwelling. He says, no germ can touch my body and live. And of course, this medical doctor just, oh, sure. You you know, you can say whatever you want to, but you'll die. And he says, I'll prove it to you. And he had him take a microscope slide, one of these little slides that you put under the microscope. They wiped the foam off of this guy's mouth who had just died and they stuck it under a microscope and you could see all of the germs and they're just moving. And he said, watch this. And he just touched his finger to that spit on that slide and instantly it was totally still. Every single thing died. And some people think, some people think, well, he must have had a special anointing or he must have had an, a gift or there's something special about him. The Bible says about every one of us that no plague will come nigh our dwelling. But see, these things are faith activated. They don't operate automatically. You've got to believe in order to receive. And the average Christian doesn't have that attitude. They think if they get around somebody with a cold, oh, don't sneeze on me, I'll get a cold. If that's what you believe, if that's your philosophy, then your defenses are down and you're just like any other human. Man, I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. I think your philosophy stinks. 
I believe no plague will come nigh my dwelling. And I don't care. I pray for people that have the plague, the botch. They've got incurable diseases. If you touch them, you could get it. And I lay hands all over them and pray for them. And you know what? I stay healthy. And some of us, you can't do that. Well, then it won't work for you because you don't believe it. But I'm telling you, you can renew your mind and get a Christian philosophy. And it's based on the word of God. And very few Christians have a philosophy that comes from the word of God. We were raised to think we're just no different than anybody else. When it's a certain time of the year, you're going to get sick. If somebody exposes you to something, you're going to get sick. Uh, if there's a recession, then you're going to be poor just like everybody else. There's many of you that when the recession hit, you started planning on having problems. And guess what? It worked. <laughs> In Colorado Springs, there's a hundred and something, I don't even know, but over a hundred parachurch ministries. And did you know that we, we know some of these people and, and when the recession hit, they cut back their budgets for the pre, for the next year by 15 to 20% anticipating problems. You know what? That is absolutely wrong. God said that he would supply our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, not according to the U.S. economy. You do not have to be bound to this U.S. economy. And ministries, man, when people are struggling financially, that's when we should increase our outreach. That's when people are the most receptive to the Lord is when they have needs that they can't solve themselves. We shouldn't have been cutting back. We should have been expanding. And so, you know what we did? We launched the largest expansion we've ever had in the history of our ministry. We've added TBN, which just the actual airtime is over $250,000 a month. And by the time you add the staff and the materials, we had to add a half a million dollars a month to our uh, budget. And so we've increased in that area. And then we started this project building a $47 million. By the time it gets through, it'll be $47 million. We started all of this. And did you know, since the crash, our income has just about doubled in three years. Amen. And some people say you can't do that. Well, don't wake me up because that's what we're doing. It's all based on your philosophy. If you plan on having problems, if you make provisions for the flesh and expect problems, you can have it. Amen. If you talk about, well, I'm over 40 and man, now I'm going to start going downhill and you start, you know what? You can have it. I bet you I've worked harder in the last two weeks and I've worked in all of my life. I mean, I have worked, worked, worked and I am healthy and doing good and praise God. You do not have to get feeble and decrepit. Amen. So anyway, Satan attacked God's word. That's the way that he does. If you had this philosophy that God's word is absolute and what does God's word say about me? If Moses was 120 years old and his natural force wasn't abated or his eyesight dim, then praise God, God's no respecter of persons. That's going to work for me. And if you went to saying and expecting things like that, guess what? You would get different results than what you've got. But many of us, but I remember my mother or my dad at 60, they were just decrepit. There's nothing against them, but that's not what God promised you. You don't have to let your gene pool, your DNA affect your destiny. You can let your new blood type, the blood of Jesus and your new family affect you and you can renew your mind. 
Some of you think, but they've got heart problems. It runs in my family. Arthritis runs in my family. This problem runs in my family. And you've got a philosophy. You're expecting it. You've been spending 20 and 30 years preparing for it. And then you're shocked when it happens. Like, how did this happen? Man, you got to change things. My dad died when he was 54 of heart disease. And everybody that checks me out, you know, they say, oh man, you got a history of heart disease. You better watch out for this. And I say, well, what about my mother? She lived to be 96 and was healthy as a horse. I said, why don't you look at her side of the family? But see, they always look at the worst case scenario. And when Jamie and I just first got turned on the Lord, we broke that curse over our family and we broke that. And I don't have heart problems. Man, that's powerful what I'm saying. I wish I could just talk to every one of you one-on-one and discuss things because I can guarantee you, you've got philosophies that are contrary to God's word. You need to make this decision that God's word is absolute and my life is going to be based on what God said, not on my genealogy, what my relatives have done, not on what the evening news has to say. They're lying to you. I'm telling you, if you are watching the news to be informed, you are misinformed. Man, I could give you hundreds of examples of predictions of pandemic that they said it's not a question of if it'll happen, just a matter of when. It might be two years, but one third of the world's population is going to be wiped out by the bird flu. I heard that on BBC in England. And that... Two years came and went and there was 12 people worldwide who died. It was a false prediction. And yet, did you know that they killed birds, fowls, chickens, and things like this in in England by the tens of thousands? I remember when the mad cow disease came out and they had piles of uh, animals piled up as high as this roof. And you could see smoke going up all over England them killing all of these animals. People lost their entire livelihood and everything over a scare that never happened. People think, well, those British, (laughs) we do the same thing right here. (laughs) Did you know that after the uh, hurricanes and we had such devastation hurricanes, there was a guy in Boulder, Colorado at the National Weather Center that the next year, I forget the details. I've got all of this written down, but I'd, I'd be wrong if I tried to state it. But he, he said that, you know, like there was 12 named hurricanes that year. And he said, next year, there's going to be 15 and five of them are going to be category five. And it's going to be the most devastating year of hurricanes that we ever had. There was one named storm. And then the next year he prophesied it was going to be worse than ever. And he did this. And finally, after about 10 years of totally missing it, he finally just said he was going to quit predicting hurricanes. <laughs> And I thought, well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And yet you hear things like this and you go to preparing for the worst. And it very seldom ever comes to pass. We are not being told the truth. You you need to base your life on what the Word of God says, not on this, this misinformation of the world. Anyway, that was all review. So here's two more things that I want to point out tonight. Let me just say that tonight I'm going to try and get through two more Christian philosophies that I believe every person ought to have. 
This is a Christian way of thinking, a Christian worldview paradigm. Every believer ought to think this way. And then I've got a lot more that I could say about this, but then tomorrow I want to start dealing with some secular issues or moral issues that some people think Christians shouldn't be speaking about, but I think it's necessary that we address some of these things. I'm going to talk about evolution versus creationism. I'm going to talk about homosexuality. I'm going to talk about abortion. And I'm going to uh, come up with what a Christian philosophy of these things are based on the Word of God. And there's a lot of people that think, well, you ought to just stick to the Word. I am. I'm going to share everything that I say based on the Word. And it is wrong for us as Christians to just advocate our influence and let the world decide those things. Let the ungodly decide those things. The Word of God was the foundation of this nation. They dealt with these things. Did you know that George Washington and those guys spoke out on evolution? It was a theory back then, long before Darwin came around. The theory of evolution goes back before the time of Christ. Plato advocated some of those things. And it goes, and they spoke out against it. it. This is not something new. And they spoke out against it on the basis of what scripture had to say. And I tell you, we need to have an opinion on what, on these current issues based on what the word of God has to say. Amen. And I know that there's many of you that are just grieved that I'm going to do this because you think, oh, I liked your teaching so well, but now you're going to come and talk in these areas that you have no right talking about. Man, the Word of God has a lot to say about this. And I believe the authority of God's Word more than I believe anybody with a degree behind their name. You could have 33 degrees and still be frozen. Or I guess it'd be 32 degrees, wouldn't it? Still be frozen. So anyway, we've talked about how that the Word of God needs to be absolute. You need to not debate it, not talk about it. If Eve would have just said, yes, God said, in the discussion, don't try and make me doubt God's Word, then that would have stopped this whole temptation. So over here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman... Yea, hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden. See, he began to start planting seeds of doubt. He didn't start by saying God's word isn't true. He just said, is this accurate? Did you really get the right communication from God? He will come in subtly. And if you accept it, well, maybe, maybe this Bible isn't accurate. I really can't trust it. I trust God. I just don't trust that the Bible is accurate when, when the Lord Jesus himself based everything on this. You know, Paul wrote the book of Galatians and based it on one letter of one word. In Galatians chapter 3, he says the promise was to Abraham and his seed, singular, not seeds, plural. And so he didn't only believe in the accuracy of every word in the translation, but he believed in the accuracy of every letter, whether it was singular or plural. And he based that entire book of Galatians on one letter of one word. I tell you, the word of God can be trusted down to the last little detail. But see, Satan will come and just plant these doubts. So he says, has God really said, and here's what Eve said unto him, the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That's not what God said. She misquoted God. She added to what he had said. And I tell you, the moment you start adding to it, 
You're getting into dangerous territory. And this is what religion has done. You know, the Lord said that you're supposed to be modest, that you're supposed to dress a certain way and act a certain way. Well, religion has come along and just amplified that to the max. Like there are entire groups. And if you're one of these groups, don't get mad at me. I'm not upset at you. I'm just trying to point out error. But there are entire groups that believe that what modest is, you got to go back to the 1700s and 1800s and dress the way that they dressed. Did you know that the very word modest comes from a word which means moderate? It's the word we get moderate from. And did you know having your hair piled up on your head and putting on powder so that you don't look like you got rosy cheeks and and, uh, refusing to do all of these things, that's not moderate, it's extreme. You're violating the whole intent of what he said over there in first Peter chapter three, where it says the woman, don't let it be the braiding of the hair and of putting on of gold and wearing of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Some religions have taken that, that you can't wear gold. Women can't wear gold wedding rings. You can't wear any gold. You can't wear any makeup. You have to look drab and do all of this stuff. And that is adding to what God said. If you take that verse in its context, that's 1 Peter chapter 3. Do you have the verse up there, Lori? But anyway, it's 1 Peter chapter 3. In that same verse, it says, or the putting on of apparel. If you're going to take this verse and just dissect it and go by everything, that means you can't wear clothes. <laughs> Hopefully you understand that that's what, not what he's talking about. He's not telling you that you can't wear clothes, that you can't wear gold, that you can't plait your hair, braid your hair. He just says, don't make that the focus. Don't put, don't spend 10 hours getting, looking good on the outside and be dirty on the inside. Let it be your hidden heart. Let it be your attitude. I believe if your barn needs painting, paint it. Praise God. And if it needs two coats, give it two coats. But see, religion takes things to an extreme and people are brought up under this and they see somebody wearing a gold wedding ring and the God didn't strike them dead. And they, God uses them and blesses them. And all of a sudden they say, you know what? Everything I taught was taught was a lie and they throw out everything instead of just the stuff that religion added to it. And they wind up rebelling at God and going the other direction. You don't need to add to the word of God. You just need to stick with what it says. Amen. Eve said, oh, we can't even touch it lest we die. That's not true. That's not what he said. And so look at this in verse four, the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. He started first with a question, a seed of doubt, not saying that something was wrong, but just how do you know that this is right? And then after she entertained that thought, then he came out and just said, it's a lie. You shall not surely die. And then he challenged God's character saying, God doesn't want you to experience the freedom and the liberty. He's keeping something from you. And so here's two things that I believe every Christian needs to understand. Here, if they would have had these philosophies, this would have ended this temptation. It would have been over. First, well, there's three things. I've already talked about how that you need to be committed to God's word as being absolutely accurate and not question it. So that's one that we've already talked about. The next one is that she should have just said, you know what? He's God. I am not. And so it's not for me to reason about why he said what he said and to debate what he said. 
He's God. This is real simple theology, but there's only one God. You are not him. It is not up to you to run your own life. Boy, this really is not appealing to Americans. Man, we pride ourselves on our freedom and I'm a self-made man and woman. Nobody told me what to do. Nobody tells me anything. The truth is you are either controlled by God or controlled by the devil. If you say, no, I'm controlled by myself, then you're controlled by the devil. Because you have a nature that is by nature a child of the devil, Ephesians chapter two. We were all by nature a child of the devil. Your nature was demonic. You were separated from God. And if you are doing your own thing, you are totally under the control of the devil. That just plays right into his hand. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. The only thing you get to do is to pick which one's going to control you. Are you going to let God control you? Are you going to follow his directions? Are you going to follow the devil? And if you're doing your own thing, you are following the devil. That usually goes over about like that. Look over here in Jeremiah chapter 10. In Jeremiah chapter 10, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he prophesied the doom and the destruction of Israel because they had forsaken their covenant with God. And he was talking about the terrible things that would happen, that the enemy would come in and take the pregnant women and rip them open and kill them and their children and the terrible things that were going to happen. And he was just overwhelmed with this. And in the 10th chapter, he says, how could this happen to the people that were once the envy of the entire world, the apple of God's eye? How could people fall from such great favor to being under the judgment of God? How could something like this happen? And then he answers his own question right here in Jeremiah chapter 10. And in verse 23, he says, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his own steps. That is a powerful, profound truth. God gave each of us the choice whether we want to do our own thing or let him rule. Uh, Deuteronomy thirty nineteen says, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. God gave you the choice. You do have the choice of running your own life. God won't force his way upon you, but I'm telling you the only decent choice, the only right choice is to choose life, to choose to let God dominate you. And the reason that the Israelites fell into this problem and the reason that you have problems in your life is because you have tried to run your own life. You have leaned under your own understanding and that's what's caused all of your problems. Again, this isn't popular with Americans because, oh no, it's not my fault. You don't understand it was my dysfunctional family. You don't understand I was born in poverty and I don't have the same advantage and we blame anybody. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. When God said, what have you done? He says, it's that woman that you gave me. He blamed the woman. And then he says, God, it's your fault. You're the one who created her. I wouldn't have done this if you hadn't created this woman. 
he began to pass the buck and people are still doing it and people don't want to assume responsibility. You may have different problems that have come against you. You may have more opportunities or less opportunities for failure than other people, but ultimately it's your choice if you're a mess. If you're a jerk, you chose to be a jerk. That's, that's true. You can't say amen, say oh me. It's true. And I know a lot of people don't like this, but you would solve just millions of problems if you just said, God, you're God. I'm not. What do you want? And then you just follow God. That just simplifies life. It brings it down to where there's not a problem to it. Many of you weren't born again when you got married, but you know what? There's some people who were already born again, already committed to the Lord, and yet you didn't follow the instructions, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, about don't be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, and you just liked somebody the way they looked or the way they made you feel or their money or who knows what it was that attracted you, and you completely ignored God and His instructions, and how's that working out for you? I have had thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to me and I guarantee you their life is an absolute wreck because they just married the one that they wanted and it was not necessarily God's choice and you're living with the consequences. I actually had one woman come to us for counseling and we, Jamie and I told her this is not God. This is not God. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. We told her everything we could say. We talked to her for hours. And within two or three days, she came back by coming back from the justice of the peace to present us with her husband and said, hey, here we are. We're married. And within one week, she was saying, oh, man, I've made a mistake. What do I do? And how do you unscramble eggs? (laughs) And you know what? I mean, it was just like. This wasn't God and yet you did it. And that's how a lot of people get into problems. Many of you have physical problems because you know what? You didn't obey the laws of God. You didn't take care of your body. I prayed with a man tonight. There's no condemnation to this, but he was in a wheelchair because he used to do heroin and he got a cyst on his spine and lesions and he's paralyzed and stuff. And you know what? There's consequences to live in a life of heroin. There's people that drink themselves to oblivion. There's people that are fat and overweight. And I guarantee you, you're going to have results and problems from that. And there's consequences to it. And people just go on and they do their own thing. And then when they get in trouble, God, why did you let this happen? God didn't let it happen. God didn't do it. I'm telling you, you'd solve so many problems in life if you just said, God, I'm not God. You are What is your will for my life? Is this what you want me to do? Do you want me to get a house that is five times as much as I can afford and go get three extra jobs and live on the verge of absolute tragedy constantly and be under all of this pressure into a place where if I lose my job, what's going to happen to me? Is this your will for me or would you rather get something that I could live in? And if you would listen to God, he would solve a lot of your problems and keep you from having all kinds of problems. But most people, well, it's my decision. I'm going to do what I want to. I've always wanted this car. And so I don't have enough money. What I'm going to do, I'm going to get a six or seven year loan on this thing and pay for that thing three times what it's worth. 
That is just stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? The Bible says, oh, no man, anything except to love one another. And yet people just ignore this and put themselves in a position where they put stress on their marriage. They're having marital problems. They're having health problems. They're having everything else because they just are ignoring what God's word has to say. I'm telling you, it would just solve things if you prayed and say, Father, is this the house that you want me to have? Is this the car that you want me to have? Is this the way that you want me to live? Is this the stuff, would you sit down and watch this television program with me? Is this the kind of stuff that you would do? If you would just make a decision, the way we would say it in the New Testament is just make Jesus Lord. Jesus, you're my Lord. Is this what you want me to do? And that would just solve so many problems. You know, I've had people come to me by the hundreds that say, man, God told me to come to Karis Bible College. But, and then they'll start giving me all the reasons that they can't do it. And they'll talk for five, 10, 15 minutes and tell me all these things. And they say, what do you think? And I said, you lost me in the moment you said God told you to come to Karis Bible College. If God told you, just do it. But I might lose my retirement. If I just worked another five years, I could, re- I could retire with full retirement. Well, God, you know, he just didn't know that. He didn't understand <laughs> that you were so close to retirement. I'm sure he made a mistake telling you to do it now. He should have waited. <laughs> if God told you to do it now, do it now. And if you lose your retirement, so be it. Well, I'd never do that. That's because Jesus isn't Lord. If Jesus tells you to do it, I guarantee you, it'll work out better his way than if you did it with your understanding and saw all of these things come to pass. People say, but God told me to go to CBC. What about my family? What about, you know, if God told you to do it, just do it. If it hair lips the devil, do it. But man, I don't have the money. God knows all that stuff. He will provide for you. Just do it. If God tells you to do it, just do it. That's it. That solves all of your problems. Don't do anything God didn't tell you to do. Do everything he tells you to do. You do that and you'll you'll be blessed. You'll prosper. And I can guarantee you, if you've got troubles and strife and all of these things in your life, it's because you haven't done things God's way. You're doing it your own way. And that's, that's it. So this ought to be a Christian philosophy that Jesus is Lord. God, what do you want me to do? And if you would just follow God's leadership, I guarantee you, God will make you look good. Don't lean under your own understanding. Proverbs chapter three, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. (coughs) You know, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. God didn't pick me because I was a chosen vessel or a silver vessel is because I was a surrendered vessel. And it's because I made this decision in 1968 and to the best of my ability, I've tried to do what God told me to do. And, you know, I made a commitment to the Lord that I was going to give my materials away. I wouldn't deny people access to it because of finances. And we've given, we quit counting at over 10 million books, CDs, DVDs and stuff. We've given away tens of millions of pieces of material free. And did you know most people think, you can't do that. 
I just felt like that's what God impressed me to do. And you know, in retrospect, it's the smartest thing I ever did. There's people that, that come to our ministry, our website, everything on it is free. Hundreds and hundreds of teachings and things. You can download things free. We have over a million visits a month to our website and people come there because it's free. I'm reaching more people than I could ever reach if I made them pay for every single thing that they got. And did you know people... I wasn't smart enough to figure that out. I just did what I felt God told me to do. And I've had people come and prophesy to me. You're thus saith the Lord. You are disobeying God. You need to sell everything. But you know what? I made a commitment to God and I've just stuck with it. And if it was going to ruin our ministry, well then let it ruin the ministry. But this was my commitment that I made. And you know what? It's working. And God just speaks to me and I've, to the best of my ability, I haven't done it perfectly, but I've just done what I believe God has told me to do. He told us to get this property and to build and expand during a quote unquote recession. And you know what? We did it and it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. We got $13 million sitting in the bank. Of course, I I need 20 million. not like I'm just sitting on this, but I'm saying that, you know what, we've had 13 million extra come in in the next, in the last two and a half years since the recession is hit because we're believing God and obeying. It's working. It's working. And to the best of my ability, I'm just doing what God tells me to do and I'll pray about it. I might get counsel, but ultimately whatever God says is what I try and do. And it is just working. And I don't have the stress and the struggle that other people have. I tell you, that is so powerful. Most people, God is not the absolute authority in their life. There are many of you, and I'm not saying this to criticize or condemn. I'm saying it to enlighten you and help you to make the right decisions and get the right philosophy. But there are many of you That if God was to speak to you and tell you to come to Karis Bible College or to go to Africa as a missionary or to do this or to quit this job or to do whatever, many of you wouldn't do it because of the criticism that you'd get. You would be afraid of what family members would say, what business associates would say, what people at at church would say. And it's God isn't absolute in control. There are some of you, I know that there are people sitting right here that you know absolutely that God wants you to do something different than what you're doing. And yet you aren't doing it because of fear of criticism or fear of failure. You're secure where you are and you're afraid to get out of the boat and step out on the water. You're afraid that maybe you'd lose your security, but you aren't satisfied, you aren't content. The very reason that some of you are so dissatisfied and you're trying to pray that God will give you peace and you'll have joy, it's because you aren't doing what God told you to do. There is a supernatural satisfaction when you know that you are exactly where God wants you to be, doing exactly what God wants you to do. And some of you are praying for that kind of satisfaction and peace, but you are outside of God's will and you'll never have it. I don't care how much you pray. You know, I was recently in Charlotte. This has been a few years back, but there's a partner that has me go speak to his business. And anyway, I go speak to them. And I came out after talking to his staff. 
And there was a woman that wasn't in the group and she was sitting at the reception desk and she was an oriental lady. And I said, uh, you must be new. And she said, yeah, I'm the new person. So they had me answer the phone while everybody was out back in the back listening to this speaker. And she said, who are you? And I told her my name and she says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a minister. And she said, for who? (laughs) And I said, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And she looked at me and she says, you're the one. And I said, I'm the one what? And she says, I'm a Buddhist. And she said, just last night I was worshiping and going through whatever it is that Buddhists do. And she was going through her rituals. And she said, she just got so dissatisfied thinking. She said, God, I know you exist, but I don't know that you're Buddha. Who are you? Who, who are you? Reveal yourself to me. And she said that this ball of light came in front of her and it was just pulsating. And she heard an audible voice that says, tomorrow I'll send you a man who'll tell you who I am. And she says, you must be the one. I said, I'm the one. Amen. And I got to tell this woman about Jesus and I got to lead her to salvation. And you know what? When I left there, you talk about feeling like, man, Jesus, I was in the right place at the right time. And the sense of satisfaction and peace, knowing that God told her that I would represent him. And stuff. I tell you what, there's some of you that will never experience that doing your own thing. And you know that there's more than what you're experiencing. And yet you are leaning under your own understanding. You're afraid about, well, what about my house? What about my insurance? What about my retirement? What about my family? What about my grandkids? What about this? What about that? I've got all of these things. And so you make it hard. God has already spoken to you, but you are sitting there wrestling with it. I don't have those problems. If God told me to do anything, if God told me to sell my house, sell my car, if he told me to give those things away, if he told me to quit this ministry and do something else, I honestly would do whatever God told me to do. I have no reservations on it. I might have to sit there and say, is that really you? (laughs) And I might have to pray about it for a while. But you know, if God told me to do anything, I'll do anything. And it just simplifies life. I don't struggle with it. I don't have turmoil in my life. I'm one happy camper. I can guarantee you if Eve would have just said, you know what? I'm not going to discuss with you why God said what he said. And you know, all of this stuff, God is God. I'm not in the discussion. He created me. It's his business. I think I'll just do whatever he says. That would have solved this problem. It would solve your problems. You know, I was raised in a church that said that God's the one that put sickness and disease on us. I was told, I remember when my dad died, the pastor of the church came over and says, God took your dad home today and it was God's will. He needed him in heaven more than you needed him here on earth is what he said. And you know, at 12 years old, I figured that, that, what does God need my dad for? I knew something better than that. But even though it was a pain to me and I grew up without a dad and stuff, did you know what? I never got bitter. I hear people all the time say, well, I wouldn't serve a God like that. I wouldn't serve a God who would do this. I wouldn't serve a God who wouldn't heal you. I wouldn't serve a God who wouldn't bless you. I would. Amen. If he's God, I'll serve him because he's God and I'm not. And it's just icing on the cake. It's wonderful to find out that God isn't like that, that God is a good God. 
But you know what? He's God. And I don't care who God is or how God is. I'll serve him because I am not God. He is. There are many of you that you are God of your life. You pick and choose what you will obey and what you won't obey. And you have put elevated your posi- yourself to a position of God. And that's the reason that you have so much conflict, so much turmoil, so much fear. You weren't made to run your own life. You have the, the opportunity. You have the privilege of deciding, but the right choice is to choose life. And to just run up the white flag and say, you know what, I'm going to commit myself to God. And if he tells me to do anything, I'll do it. Right after I made that commitment to the Lord, it was March the 23rd, 1968, when I made a total commitment. I'd already been born again for 10 years, but that's when I committed myself to the Lord with no reservations. I ran up a white flag and I told him I'd do anything, go anywhere, do whatever. And I've not fulfilled it perfectly, but that has been my all-consuming desire for 44 plus years. And right after I made that decision, I was in college, my first year of college, and God told me to quit school. I was getting $350 a month from social security payments from my dad's death. As long as I stayed in college, I had a student deferment from the military and plus everybody in my family, aunts, uncles, everybody have all been educators and principals and teachers and stuff. And education was just it. And when I said I was quitting school, my mother didn't talk to me for two weeks. And I was kicked out of my Baptist church. They said, that's of the devil. You can't say that you're a Christian and say, God told you to quit school. I got blasted from every area. Plus I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. It could have cost me my life. But you know what? I knew that that's what God told me to do. And man, I was excited about it. And I never looked back. I never had a question one. And if it cost me my life, and I I came close to being killed a couple of times. You know what? It didn't matter because I knew I was doing what God told me to do. And in retrospect, Vietnam is one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. I went to Vietnam a Baptist. And I just had to study the word 15 hours a day. And after 13 months, I came back and I didn't mean to, but I wasn't a Baptist anymore. (laughs) I had just gotten in the word of God and it had changed my theology and the Baptist didn't want me. So I just moved on. It was, it was a great thing. But you know, at the time it looked terrible, but I knew that that's what God told me to do. Jamie and I started in the ministry and we pastored two little churches over four years And we finally got to where we were having 50 or 60 people coming. It looked like we were going to live and not die. We had money coming in. I started a radio ministry. Things were beginning to work. And I went and held a meeting in this little place called Pritchett, Colorado. 144 people. And a man was raised from the dead. And when that happened, I mean, it turned that whole Baca County upside down. And hundreds of people started coming to this little church that had 10 people in it. And they said, you can't come and do this and then leave. You've got to stay here and teach us the word of God. And I told them, I said, there isn't any way I'm staying in Pritchett, Colorado. I'm out of here. But before I got out of the city limits, which was two blocks. (laughs) 
I knew that God wanted me to come back to preach it. And so I prayed about it for a few days. And within a week, I was just absolutely committed and excited. I had a guy offer me a part in a business that was worth twenty-five dollars or $30,000. This is back when we were starving and just sometimes eating and sometimes not. I had opportunities come that looked like I was making the wrong decision. And yet I just knew what God had told me. And you know what? I was so excited. I went to Pritchett, Colorado, excited about it. And it didn't look like Pritchett was a stepping stone to anywhere. It was a graveyard. The only way to leave that town was feet first. You couldn't build a ministry in Pritchett. And yet that's where everything opened up. And that, you know, looking back, it was just God's perfect wisdom. God, God's a good God. His plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. Some of you are afraid he'll send you to Africa. Well, man, Reinhard Bonnke's been sent to Africa and look what it did to him. Opened up a worldwide ministry, make the guy famous. And man, if God tells you to do whatever, I guarantee you his plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. God knows what makes you tick. His plans are better. If you don't wake up in the morning just excited about life, it's because you probably have missed God's will for your life. You're doing your own thing, leaning under your own understanding. Most people are like a pinball that you just launch it and then they just bounce around from this to that and this happens and you lose this job and so you put in applications and they hire you and you just go over here and you do whatever. But you couldn't say that God told me to do it. You're just whatever. Whatever will be, will be. The Bible says, don't be ignorant. Ephesians chapter five, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. God has a plan for every one of you. Do you know for sure that you're doing what God told you to do? If you don't, you ought to just make that the priority and you need to find out God's will. I've got three series out there, how to find, follow, and fulfill God's will. You need to find out what God's purpose for your life is. You need to quit choosing your own things and deciding who you'll marry and where you'll live and what you'll do and all of these things. And you ought to start letting God guide you. You need to make Jesus Lord. And if you do that, you would begin to start being so fulfilled. You'd start being so fruitful. You'd start being so blessed. It would transform your life if you would just have that philosophy that God, you are in control, I'm not. That is profound. You would think you shouldn't even have to say these things to Christians because this is part of what a Christian is. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The word Lord means he's boss. He's in control and yet the average Christian is doing their own thing and asking God to bless it. That is totally wrong. Don't ever do your own thing. Just do what God told you to do. You know, I never pray over meetings like this. I have people come and say, who are your intercessors that you use to call down God's power and to do all these things? I don't have any intercessors and I don't ever pray over meetings. And people think... I can't believe it. You know why? Because I'm doing what God told me to do. And if I do what God tells me to do, he would be unjust to tell me to do this and then not anoint me and not bless me. That's good. I don't ever go into, you know, I go into some of these churches and they'll say, they'll get me in the back room and they'll say, let's pray and ask God to anoint you. And I'm so polite and kind and tactful. I don't ever say anything to him. But my thought is, hey, if you don't think I'm anointed, why did you invite me to come minister? <laughs> and you're going to wait until five minutes before the service starts. And then you're going to start praying and asking God to anoint me. That is just stupid. 
The Bible says that he that hath anointed us, Jesus said that the anointing of the Lord God is upon me because he hath already anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. If you would quit doing your own thing, then you would ha- you could quit asking God to bless your efforts. Do what he tells you to do and it's always blessed. If you step out of the boat because he said, come, you can walk on the water. But if you're out of the boat on your own, you better know how to swim. (laughs) This is so simple. You got to have somebody to help you to misunderstand what I'm saying. A Christian just needs to have this philosophy that you are God. I am not. Lead me, guide me, show me your will. What do you want me to do? And then if the Lord speaks to you, and if it's contrary to everything you've ever wanted in your life, if it's contrary to what the world has to say, if it's contrary to what your family has to say or anybody, you just do it if it hair lips the devil. You just do it regardless of what the consequences are. You just do it. If it means you're going to die, do it. Just do it. And I know some of you think, but, but you can't do that. You, don't wake me up. This is how I'm living. I just do it. I'm doing things that can't be done. Some of you see me now and you think, well, you've got all of this and you can do these things. You know, it wasn't but just 10 years ago that the Lord told me I was thinking too small. And I guarantee you what I'm doing today, where I'm living and the things that are happening today were absolutely positively impossible. And yet it's happening now because I just decided that I would do what God told me to do and it works. The only thing that's standing in between you and absolute success is just the fact that you run your own life instead of God. If you would submit yourself to God, God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. He's smarter than you. God can run your life better than you can run your life. And you just need to make a decision that God, you're God. And I run up a white flag and just do it. And that's it. Just make Jesus Lord. Follow him. Do it. You know, Wendell asked, how many of you, if you didn't have all of these other things warring against you and all of these other reasons, if you just did what you wanted to do and what, you know, you feel God put in your heart, how many people would come to Bible college and hundreds raise their hands? And yet there won't be hundreds that go to Bible college because they will let circumstances and situations and stuff talk them out of it. We, we have people all the time say, I just feel that God wants me to come, I want, but I've got this problem, this problem. And they say, do you think it's God? And I used to try and explain this to people and spend lots of time. And I've just come to a way of shortening it down. And I tell them, oh, well, I understand what you're saying. Maybe it's the devil that wants you to come to Bible college and sit under the word four hours a day for two years and get your life changed. That could be the devil or it might be just your flesh. I mean, after all, you just, you just want to do the things of God. It just comes naturally. So you can't ever tell if that's God. You know, if, if you have a desire to come to Bible college and do the right things, I can guarantee you God put it there. Now, it's not a question about all these other things. If God told you to do it, then just do it. And you know what? He'll move heaven and earth to make things happen. That's right. That's 
But it's amazing how people just do not let God control their life. They lean under their own understanding and that's exactly what's got you into trouble. And I could say a lot more about that, but let me go back to Genesis chapter three and share one other philosophy with you that a Christian absolutely has to have. And that is that God is a good God. And God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. If Eve would have had that philosophy and if she would have filtered everything that came to her through that, she could have said, this is a lie. Because God would never do anything to restrict me or to hurt me. Eve didn't have a justification for believing that God was a bad God and that God wanted to punish her and hurt her. Man, he had provided the perfect environment. The climate was perfect. The food was perfect. The mate was perfect. Everything was perfect. They couldn't complain about a dysfunctional family. They couldn't talk about their upbringing. This is how you'll be able to tell Adam and Eve from everybody else in heaven. They're the only ones that won't have belly buttons. They didn't have bad parents. They were never abused. Nothing bad had ever happened. Everything in their life was absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect. And yet they listened to a talking snake impugn God. And they got to believe it. They had, before they could take of that fruit and rebel at God's word, they had to believe that God is not who he says he was. God is not out for my good. If I listen to God, I'm going to miss out on something. I'll be more like God if I eat of this fruit. The truth is they were already like him. They were created in his image. They became less like God. And you know, the devil is still using the same thing. The reason people enter into sin today is because they don't understand how good God is and how much he loves you. God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. You know, it's hard for us to tell about what would have been, what could have been, what should have been. It's hard for us to, to think that way. But I can just look at my life and if I would have leaned under my own understanding and there wasn't, there was two friends, two friends on the earth that supported me in the things I started doing 44 years ago. Everybody else, every major leader in the church in my life, every authority figure told me I was of the devil. I was kicked out of churches. I was criticized. I had bad things happen. And I didn't have any support. But if I would have listened to them and have followed their understanding and have been afraid to quit school because I could have been drafted, because I would have lost money, because I could have been killed and all of these other. And if I wouldn't have done that, you know what? I don't know where my life would have gone, but it wouldn't be where it is today. I am so grateful that I just had enough gumption to just run up a white flag and say, Jesus is Lord, I surrender. And if he tells me to do it, and if it costs me my life, that so be it. I'd rather die doing what God told me to do than lean under my own understanding. Amen. And I can't tell what would have been, but I can guarantee you I wouldn't be here. I had a job I, when I quit school. 
I had a job working for the school system and the guy liked me so much and I was doing a good job. He offered me a supervisor's position with a guaranteed income and retirement. This is when I was 18 years old or 19 by that time. And my mother just was over the roof like, man, you quit school and yet look, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. You'll never get anything like this again. But that guy told me, he says, I have to have a minimum of a five-year commitment. And I said, I can't do that. God's called me into the ministry. And I said, as soon as the door opens, I'm gone. And I turned down his job offer. I turned down his money. I walked out without a job because I had to commit myself to five years because that's what God led me to do. You know what? Most people would think you're crazy. You know, I don't know exactly what that job would be paying. I, I forget, but it, it wouldn't be as much as I've got right now. I wouldn't be bringing in $2 million a month. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. You know what? It's a lot better to follow God. It's a lot better to just listen to him. God is a good God. And if you're afraid to one, run up the white flag and say, oh, but God, if I was to just turn my whole life over, you might not want me to live in this house. You may not want me to be indulging every sense and to do this, you might send me to Africa. You might do whatever. I can promise you, God is a good God. He's not going to hurt you. And somebody's got to go to Africa. And if he wants you to go to Africa, he will put the love of God in your heart and you'll be happier in Africa than you've ever been in America. You know, I think I see Mike and Carrie Pickett back there. Are they back there? I thought I saw you. But Mike and Carrie, you guys stand up. Is Carrie around? Here's Mike. Is Carrie here? She's someplace. All right. But anyway, Mike and Carrie run our ministry in Russia. And did you know Carrie, she came to our Bible school, I think when she was 17, graduated when she was 19, went to Russia as a young girl. She's a very attractive lady, but she gave up everything and saying, God, you know, if I never get married... I'll give up everything. I, she just obeyed God and went to Russia. And guess what? Mike turned out, she found her husband in Russia. She would have missed him if she'd have stayed here in the States thinking about, I got a plan for myself and take care of myself. And God put Mike and Carrie together supernaturally. And now they are touching thousands and thousands. They've taken our television program and translated it into Russian. And it's now being broadcast across 11 time zones. And they're reaching 160 million homes. And they're just changing lives. Some of their graduates have gone out and they've seen multiple people raised from the dead. And because of it, revival's just breaking out. They had, I think it was in Estonia, the leaders of a town in Estonia came to them and wants to give them this huge facility for like $1 or whatever for 30 years. And just miracles are happening. The things are opening up because you know what? It looked like from just human perspective that Carrie was wasting her life and going and doing what God told her to do. And yet that's where she found her husband, Mike, is an awesome guy. It's a, it's a God thing. And it was perfect. And that was how you find God's will. Most people, you know, uh, this guy, Bill Gothard, used to use this triangle with God at the top of this isosceles triangle. And here's the man and the woman down there. And he would say that most people seek each other on just this human level down here and they connect 
and they get married and they fall in love and they do these things and then they start speaking, seeking God. But he says the way it should be for Christians is the man and the woman start seeking God. And as you seek God and get closer and closer to his perfect will, you will run into your perfect mate. It was God that brought Eve to Adam and Ruth to Boaz and Rachel to Isaac and all of these things, or Rebecca to Isaac. And God is the one that puts marriages together. And if you would seek God with your whole heart, God would put marriages together. God would put people together. He would make things work out. God is for you more than you're for yourself. God never created a dud. God never will for one single person to fail. God never will for anybody to be depressed and discouraged. If you're living that kind of life, it's because you're running your own life and you don't have this philosophy that God is a good God. If you knew how much he loved you, then you would trust him with everything. If he told you to step in front of something that looked like it was going to kill you, if you really understood God, you would just do it, trusting him. It's like a little kid when you say, jump to me in the swimming pool and the little kid's afraid of the swimming pool. But you know what? If they really trust their parent, if they love that parent, they will jump into a situation that could be potential death knowing that that parent would never let them drown. God is not going to let you suffer. God is not going to hurt you. God is a good God. Jesus said it this way. The thief comes for no other purpose, but for to steal, to kill and to destroy. John 10, 10. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The Lord only wants to do good things in your life. He, he wants to bless you. And some of you are thinking, oh, but I know he would take away from me this thing that you've got. If he takes it away, it's because you'll be happier without it. There are some of you that are afraid that you'll lose your dope and your marijuana. He'd make you quit smoking it. (laughs) I believe you'd be better off without it. You're afraid of what God will do. There are things in our life that needs to change. And he may take some things away from you. And he may lead you in a different direction than what you've been thinking. But let me ask you, how's your way been working? I guarantee you God's plans for you are better than your plans for yourself. And see, we need to have this philosophy that God's a good God. If we had that philosophy, people wouldn't submit to the lies that religion is presenting. People would not believe that it's God that made your child with Down syndrome, some birth defect. It's God that caused you to get a divorce because he was punishing you and hurting you. It's God's judgment on you that made your business fail. It's God that caused you to lose your job. It's God that's causing you to suffer. It's God that's caused your joy to leave. God is upset at you. Those things are not true. God is a good God and people are falling prey to the lies of religion because they do not know God. Here's a startling statement that some of you are going to disbelieve and disagree with, but listen to me. Eve didn't know the character of God as well as I do. And some of you think, well, what are you saying? She was in perfection. She was in paradise. But Eve didn't know that God loved her so much that he would literally become a man and suffer and die for her sins to pay for her rebellion. She didn't know that. She had no concept of that. 
We now have the understanding that God sent Jesus to bear our sins and took our sins so that he could never be mad at me. We don't have a reason. You can, in a sense, issue Eve and Adam a pass because they didn't have the information that you and I got. But there is no reason for us to buy into the lie of religion that God is still mad at you. And you know what? I could preach for days, weeks on this right here. I haven't got time to do that tonight. I'm just making this point that God, the war is over between him and you. He's not holding your sins against you. God is not condemning you. And I don't care how sorry you are or have been. I don't care what you've done. God is not mad at you. God is not punishing you. God is not the one who's put sickness and disease in your life. And if you believe that he is, well, then quit going to the doctor. Why would you want to get out of his will? If you really are going to be consistent and you think God's one that's given you the sickness or disease or caused these problems, well, then quit going to the doctor and trying to get out of God's will. Just let him have the full impact. That's wrong. God loves you. God is a good God. And if you really understood how good God was, you would never rebel at him. You wouldn't have any trouble trusting him. The Lord has proven himself to me a million times over. And I tell you, God has been good to me. God has treated me better than I deserve. I don't deserve the goodness that God has given me. God loves me more than I love myself. God's plans for me are better than my plans for myself. And I learned this long time ago and I have just been trying to follow God and to the degree that I have followed him and obeyed him, God has blessed my socks off. I tell you what, I'm seeing awesome things happen and I highly recommend this. Many of you have had God misrepresented to you just like the devil. The devil says, no, the reason God said this is because he's not out for your good. He wants to keep you from being like God. God doesn't love you. And many of you have bought into that exact same lie. I can tell you this. If you've ever, you know, clenched your fist and said, God, I hate you for doing this. And how I'm mad at you because you didn't do this and you didn't do that. You have had God misrepresented to you. You think God's the one that caused those people to die. God's the one that caused this marriage to fail or whatever. It's not true. God has not ever done anything to you. There is zero reason for you to be mad at God. You attributed things to God. You've listened to the serpent lie and misrepresent God. And I tell you, religion is misrepresenting God big time and telling people lies. You need to go to the Word of God and find out that God is a good God. I've got a book, a teaching entitled, The War is Over, that I guarantee you would ring your bell. It would change your life. I've got another book entitled, The True Nature of God, that tells why there was so much harshness and wrath and punishment in the Old Testament, but about how we've been redeemed from that. And it will show you the true nature of God. You need to renew your mind and find out that God loves you. And if you would have these philosophies, I've talked about three things, that the word is absolutely accurate. It is not a book about God. It is a God book. It is God breathed. If you had that philosophy and read it with that attitude, and then if you just made a decision that Jesus, your Lord, I am not going to run my life. Whatever you say goes. And then you understood that God, you're a good God. If you died for me, if you love me enough to die for me, then certainly 
Your love for me is greater than my love for myself. I can trust you and I will obey you and follow you and I am never going to question it. Even when you pray for something and it doesn't look like it came to pass, I guarantee it wasn't God that failed. There's other things involved. And God just has never failed a single person in here. And if you would get those three philosophies and just start living your life by that, renew your mind, I guarantee you it would take the struggle out of your Christian life. It would give you peace. You would begin to start seeing God's will come to pass. Things would start falling in line in your life. You would prosper. You would be a blessing to other people. You would bear fruit. You would have a joy and a peace and a satisfaction that you cannot get through any physical material thing. You would experience God on a brand new level. You would be totally, totally, totally transformed. And there's a lot of other philosophies, a lot of other things that we need to deal with. But I mean, just those three would keep you busy the rest of your life. Amen. And I recommend them. I recommend that every one of you make those decisions. And if you would do that, it's not just a one-time decision that you make. You have to continue in this. You have to keep the same focus. And it takes some energy, some effort to do that. But you begin it uh, one time. There is a starting place. You don't ever arrive. You just leave. You just start moving in this direction. I am still seeking to be obedient to God. I am still seeking to be led by the Lord. I am still renewing my mind about the goodness of God. You don't ever arrive. You just leave. But there is a starting place and some of you have never started. There are some of you that if you were to be absolutely brutally honest and if I was to say, is Jesus Lord Would you follow him to death? Will you do what he tells you to do, even if it goes against your own understanding? There's a lot of, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not the majority of people in this room that couldn't honestly say, yes, I'll do that. I guarantee you that's a wrong philosophy. You are the God over your own life and you aren't smart enough to run your own life. You have the privilege, the opportunity, the choice, but it's the wrong choice. You need to humble yourself and make Jesus Lord. And then some of you aren't absolutely convinced in the goodness of God. And because of that, you let people misrepresent God and tell you that he's doing these terrible things and stuff. And you need to change all of that. Amen. Boy, that's profound. I say, I tell you what I've talked about here, just in these three services would revolutionize your life. If you would apply it, if you would walk in it. This would absolutely transform any person's life in here. Like Ashley and Carly were saying, it may not do it in the next five minutes. It takes time. You have to walk this out. But I guarantee you, if if I was to come back here in a year's time, and if you made these commitments, and I mean followed it through to the best of your ability, God help me, you would be a transformed person by this time next year. You would never be the same. Amen. So I recommend that you submit to it. Amen. And do it. Father, we love you. And we just are so thankful for these truths. Thank you for these mindsets from the word of God, that your word is absolutely true in every detail. Jesus is Lord and that you are a good God, that you only will good for us. 
Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit take these things that we've talked about and that you convince people of that and that they would yield to this and that they would adopt this mindset, this understanding about you. Thank you, Jesus. And Father, for people that have been lied to, people that have never heard these things and they just think that they have to lean under their own understanding. If they don't do it, nobody else will take care of them. They don't understand that you will provide. Father, I speak these truths and I believe that this truth is setting them free. I think that people will respond to this and run up a white flag and surrender their life to you, trusting your plans for them more than their plans for themselves. Thank you, Jesus. We just believe that this is a turning point in people's lives. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, I hesitate to do this because I don't want to manipulate anybody and I don't want to say anything for a selfish purpose. So I, I believe that I'm search my own heart and I'm saying this out of a pure heart, but I think that there's some people, maybe not everybody, but that raised their hand earlier, but there are some people here that you know God has spoken to you about coming to Karis Bible College and you just are debating about whether or not you will obey God. Now, some of you may not be sure that it's God and so you need to pray about it until you do get sure. But there are some of you that are sure and you're still debating about whether or not you'll do it. You know what? If you receive what I talked about tonight, this ought to end that question. You ought to just say, I'll do it. God, you show me how, you show me when, but I will do it. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, how, but I will do it. You need to make that decision right now. And some of you are scared to do that, but you ought to do it. And then there's other people, it's not about our Bible college, but it might be about starting your own business. It might be about stepping out of business and into ministry, or it might be about a million different things. But God has already spoken to many of you and you know what his will is and yet you just are debating about whether you'll do it because it doesn't look in the natural like it can come to pass. Why would God show you how he's going to do it until first of all you take the first step? Why would he show you step number two, three, four, five, six, ten and give you the whole plan and make you accountable and responsible for more disobedience? He's just going to show you things one step at a time. And until you step out and say, all right, God, I commit, I will do it. Then there's no point in him showing you step number two, three, four. So I believe that I'm speaking to a lot of people in here that you have more direction than what you're acting on because of fear, leaning onto your own understanding. And the proper response tonight ought to be to make Jesus Lord and say, I'm going to obey you. Now, again, if you don't know for sure, if you're just dissatisfied and you think that there's something more, I'm not talking to you right now, but I'm talking to people who you know God has given you clear direction and you're afraid to step out. You aren't doing it because you've leaned under your own understanding. You're letting circumstances control you instead of the Holy Spirit. You need to repent. You need to change. And you need to say, God, I'm going to do it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that he is faithful and just to keep that which we commit unto him. But if there's no committing, there's no keeping. 
And so here's what I feel led to do tonight. If you're one that has direction and you know God has spoken something to you and yet you aren't doing it because you are fearful for whatever reason, you need to repent and you need to make a commitment that from now on I'm going to do what God tells me to do regardless of the consequences. And if that's you, I want you to just be humble enough to just stand right where you are and say, I'm repenting publicly and saying, I'm going to do what God told me to do. If that's you, I want you to stand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're going to make a commitment and then I believe that God is going to follow through and you're going to see some things happen. And I know somebody's probably thinking, do we have to stand? Yes. I'm going to pray this won't work if you're seated. You know what? If you aren't willing to stand in front of believers who are supporting you and who will rejoice with you because you're responding to what God is telling you, and if you aren't willing to humble yourself and stand up for what God has told you in a situation like this, you'll never stand up on your job, in your family situation, or nothing else. You've got to be bold enough to stand up and say, you know what, I'm going to do what God told me to do regardless of consequences. We've still got people standing. I know some of you think, well, man, this is a big decision, short period of time. But if the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, you need to respond while the Holy Spirit's dealing with you. You'll feel differently when you get out of this situation and you're watching as the stomach turns on the television. You'll lose some of your conviction. Right now, you've been sitting under the Word. If the Holy Spirit's dealing with you, you need to respond. If this is you going to make this commitment, I want you to stand. And somebody might think, well, I'm not sure I can hold to it. It says God will keep that which you commit. God will hold you to it. You make the commitment. God will hold you to it. He'll remind you of it. He'll bring it back to your remembrance. He'll help you. Father, I thank you for all of these people right now who have more direction than what they've acted on. Father, regardless of what the reasons are, the fears, the consequences, the lack of finances, the lack of ability or whatever it is, we just repent right now of taking your will, your direction for our life and debating about whether or not we will do it. We end the debate. We make Jesus Lord. We run up the white flag and we say we will do what you told us to do regardless of how impossible it looks or regardless of how long it takes, regardless of what the obstacles are, we start moving in that direction right now and we believe that as we start doing what we can do, you are going to enable us to do what we can do and that there is going to be supernatural provision and that you are going to provide. But Father, we make this commitment and we trust that you are faithful and just to keep that which we commit. And I thank you that because of this commitment publicly tonight, that there are going to be people moving into the will of God, going to start experiencing things that they've never experienced before, that you will come through. And Father, we thank you. We agree and we just praise you in advance, Father, that it's going to be awesome to watch and see how you bring all of these things to pass. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Man, that's awesome. Praise the Lord.
You can be seated. I tell you what, I believe that's going to change your life. If the Lord tarries, you're going to share some great testimonies with me about the decision that you made and how God came through. If nothing else, we can visit about it in eternity and you can come by my mansion and tell me about all the awesome things that God did. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, I can guarantee you that that is a commitment that every person in here needs to make. And then once you get born again, Jesus told his disciples, don't go do anything. Don't tell anyone about me being raised from the dead. Don't do anything until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And the same thing is true today. The Christian life is not just difficult It's impossible to live on your own. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. And you talk about guidance and hearing the voice. It says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance. John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit is how God guides you and empowers you. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I guarantee you, you don't have the power that it takes to live the Christian life. You might have just made a commitment that it's impossible for you to fulfill it on your own. You need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues. It's not limited to that. There's all kinds of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there's many things that the power of the Holy Spirit will do in your life, but it includes speaking in tongues. And I know that there's many people who've been taught that that is of the devil, but you can go into a bar and you'll never hear people speak in tongues. You can go into a strip joint, they, they aren't speaking in tongues. If it was of the devil, you'd find it in all of these places where the devil is. I'm telling you, it's not of the devil. It's of God. And if you don't speak in tongues, you need to receive this. It is a powerful, powerful gift. So is there anybody here who would say, I either need to be born again and make Jesus my Lord and or I need this baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Anybody here like that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray with you and help you to receive. We've got a number of hands up. We've already had, what was it, 86? 89 people received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and I think six were born again. But I don't want to pass up an opportunity to help somebody because these are essentials. These are things that every person has to have. You can't go very far without knowing Jesus personally and having the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, would you just get up out of your chair and come forward and stand right here and I want to pray with you and help you to receive. Just come right here and let me pray with you and we want to help you to receive these gifts. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. great. Awesome. I tell you what, this is going to change your life. I believe y'all are going to be stronger than horseradish. Man, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it just totally changed me. You guys, you wouldn't believe the change it made in me. You just couldn't believe how introverted and how messed up I was prior. And I'm still messed up, you might think, but not near as much as it used to be, amen. I mean, God has transformed my life. It is awesome what he's done. Praise God. Anybody else? 
Thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. You know, I know that many of you have been to all of these services and and I go through the same thing, but this is just so important that I think it's well worth giving you an invitation every single time for people to be born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I don't make any apologies for it. And I don't have a different way of presenting it. I tell people the same thing every service. But I believe that this is important. Before you can be born again, you first of all need to, I mean, excuse me, before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you first of all need to be born again. The Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. If there's anybody down here who's not absolutely certain that Jesus is your Lord, that you've been born again, that you've been changed in your nature, you need to pray first and make sure that you're born again. Is there anybody here who's not sure about that and you need to pray with me and just make sure that you're born again? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can see who you are and I can pray with you first. Anybody? everybody here absolutely sure that you've passed from death unto life? Are you sure? Are y'all praising God or raising your hand for prayer? (laughs) Praising the Lord. Amen. Well, you know what? If you're already born again, then according to the Bible, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's really important because that means that God created you to be a dwelling place for his Holy Spirit. So this is what you were made for. The Lord would never deny you the Holy Spirit. Some people teach that you got to get rid of all sin. You can't have any problems in your life in order to receive the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you, if you could get holy without the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. If you got problems, if you got sin in your life, if you're messed up, that's not going to keep God from giving you the Holy Spirit. That's the very reason he wants to give you the Holy Spirit is so that you can have power to overcome these things. So don't let some sense of unworthiness keep you from receiving. This is what you were created for. So in a sense, what we're going to do, we're just going to open up the doors of our temple, the doors of our heart and welcome the Holy Spirit. He won't force himself on anybody. He has to be invited in. And so we're just going to invite him into our life and welcome this power into our life. And when you do that, the power of God's going to come flooding in. He's been looking for this day. He's wanted the opportunity to take control of your life. And then I'm going to have our prayer ministers come up here and they're going to stand behind you and lay hands on you because the Bible says that through the laying on of hands, the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to take these people who already have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. And after I lead you in prayer, they are going to lay hands on you and release this power into your life. And then after they lay hands on you, I want you to quit asking God to give you the Holy Spirit. There's a time to ask, but then there's a time to believe that he did what he promised he would do. So I'm going to ask you after they lay hands on you, to quit asking God to give you the Holy Spirit and instead start thanking Him that He did what He promised. I don't care what you feel like. We're going to go by faith and stand on what the Word of God says and I want you to start thanking God. And at that time, after they lay hands on you and we start thanking God for you having the Holy Spirit, I want you to put your hands in the air like this and start thanking Him because the Bible says that when you lift up your hands in the sanctuary, you bless God. This blesses God. 
God gets blessed by this. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender. It's a way of yielding to the Lord. And so I'm going to lead you in prayer. They're going to lay hands on you. You're going to lift your hands and just start thanking God that he gave you the Holy Spirit. And then those of us that have the baptism of the Holy Spirit are going to start speaking in tongues. Because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 17, that when you speak in tongues, you're giving thanks. That's what you're doing. You don't understand it, but you are praising God in a heavenly language. So we're going to start thanking him in the language that we pray in. And as we start speaking in tongues, I want you to just join in and quit praying in English. Quit thanking him in English and start thanking him in tongues and start speaking in tongues. And some of you say, well, man, I don't, what do you say? How do you do it? You know, I've got a whole book I'm going to give you and it'll explain this in more detail. But the number one problem that most people have is they think the Holy Spirit's going to force you to speak in tongues. And so I literally, when I tried to receive this, I would open my mouth and just wait on the Holy Spirit to make me talk. And it never happened. But the Bible says in Acts 2, 4, that they spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak in tongues through you. He gives you the utterance. You do the talking. He inspires it. It's like when I spoke tonight. I believe that God spoke through me tonight. But if I would have said, oh God, speak through me, and then I just opened up my mouth and wait on God to make it talk, nothing would have happened. I spoke. That's the reason it came out in my personality. But you know what? I believe God inspired it. It's the same thing speaking in tongues. It's you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit inspiring it. And it'll sound strange to you, and it's contrary to everything you've ever thought about. you got to control what you say. But once you get over the strangeness of it, the newness of it, you'll find out it just flows out of you. And I've got a whole book that will explain it. But if you're ready, and if you're willing to just start trying to speak and give voice to this, the Holy Spirit will inspire you and you can speak in tongues tonight and this is going to change your life. You're never going to be the same again. Isn't that good? This is going to change you. This changed me more than just about anything in my life. The Bible says believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer and I will speak in tongues. Amen. Father, I thank you for all of these. And thank you, Jesus, that they are born again. They are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so we open up the doors of our temple. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you to come into these lives. We want your power. We want you to take over. We want you to glorify God, to give us this ability to speak in tongues to inspire us, to lead us. We want you to control us. So we open up our heart and ask you, Holy Spirit, to come indwell your dwelling place in us right now. Now we lay hands on you and in the name of Jesus, we release this power of the Holy Spirit to flow into your lives right now, into every person. Holy Spirit, we loose you into their bodies into their spirit, man. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Man, that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit flowing right here. And the power of the Holy Spirit is just beginning to wash through you and take control. Now, I want you to lift up your hands and let's thank God. Thank God out loud that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what you feel like. We aren't asking for a feeling. We're believing the Word of God. 
Father, we believe that you have filled all of us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for this. Thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Spirit and we receive it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, let's start speaking in tongues and worshiping God and giving thanks as we speak in tongues. And those of you down here to receive, I want you to start praying in tongues with us. Quit praying in English and pray in tongues. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue is going to be different than theirs. It'll be unique to you. You can't say the same thing that you're hearing them say. But when you start trying to speak and it comes out different, just keep speaking. Don't worry about what it sounds like. It's like a baby when they first start talking. It doesn't sound like English. It may sound like gibberish. But you know what? That parent knows what that baby is trying to say. And that parent is pleased. Your heavenly father is pleased with you. And as you get older in this and use it, you'll find out it just flows out of you. But you got to speak. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. You got to open your mouth and talk. You got to make sounds. Just speak right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, we believe that right now the power of the Holy Spirit is coming into every person. That, Father, they have this ability to speak in tongues. Man, just keep speaking. Just about every one of these, I think, is praying in tongues. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for filling every one of these with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to share with you, it's important that you understand what happened. Some of you may have really felt the presence of God, and that's great. But you know, when I first received the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. I just had to take it by faith, and I started walking in this. And uh, I guarantee you, it has worked in my life. So some people have great experiences, but sometimes you feel nothing. But God promised. He says, if you ask, He will give you the Holy Spirit. So whether you spoke in tongues or not, I believe God gave every one of you the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you have the ability to speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is like getting a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. So when you got the Holy Spirit, every one of you got this gift of tongues. But you have to learn how to use it. Amen. So I've written a book. When I first spoke, when I first prayed for the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues because I was a Baptist. And I'd been told that it was of the devil. But I got my mind renewed. I've written uh, a book about it that will answer your questions. And if you didn't speak in tongues right now, I guarantee you this book will help you to understand exactly what happened and to get the full benefit of it. So if you would, I'd like to ask you to follow Robert. He's the man right here with his hand up. He's got this book 
that I'm going to give every one of you a free book that will explain more about this, and it'll help you to get the full benefit of what happened tonight. So if you would, just follow Robert. It'll only take a few moments, and we're going to share with you that book. Isn't that great? Let's praise God for all of these. Awesome. God bless you, brother. God bless you. Jesus.